This is Chris. Welcome to episode 315 of X-Lapse, where I just spent the past five minutes talking into the wrong microphone. So it's uh, it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. We are wrapping up a series. We've got uh, the April previews. We got a great mailbag. So uh, how about we just get into it here? We are going to be talking about Marauders, volume one, number 27 of 27. At a March 2022 cover date, the story's called Bon Voyage, written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Matteo Lali and Phil Noto. Colors by Rain Barreto, and of course, Phil Noto colors his own work. Letters, VCs Corey Petit, designs Tom Muller, head of X Still, Hickman. Uh, edits, Amaro, Bisa, White, Sabolski, cover price $5. And this one went on sale January 12th of 2022. Now, as you know, we don't usually talk too much about covers, since covers are... Uh, you know, uh, mostly meaningless, but uh, it's, a, it's a nice cover. It is a nice cover here. It's a uh, group shot, and uh, I suppose it's nice, if only to remind us how seldom most of the cast have actually been used in this book of late. Plus, Tempo is here, which, yeah, she was in that one issue, but uh, so was Banshee, so why isn't he on the cover too? I don't know. Something, something makes me think that there might have been plans for her before Hickman decided to turn tail. Anyway, let's open this one up, and uh, the story begins with Kitty stood before a Krakoan gateway at Forge's workshop. Now, she's here to remind us all that, uh, well, even though Duggan's mostly forgotten that she's part of this book, he hasn't forgotten about her little problem as it pertains to being able to access the Krakoan gates. She still can't do it, which I'm actually quite happy about, because I'd have almost bet money that we'd just start seeing her do it without explanation. And then, of course, anybody who brought it up as an error would be mercilessly mocked by Marvel Editorial for being a nerd, or uh, thinking too hard, or taking things too seriously. So yeah, she's, uh, well, she's still stuck. Now, Forge is trying to work on a, uh, like, a workaround for this, but he's also being stretched a little bit thin right now. You see, he's apparently working on a big project for the Quiet Council, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this is anything in particular, or anything that'll bear fruit, or maybe just a way to kind of sidestep the fact that he hasn't done it yet. Maybe he's... Just busy, you know, without truly elaborating. Or maybe it's just uh, leaving it open-ended for someone to follow up on later if they decide to. Now, Forge mentions a bit of irony about how Kitty uh, usually disrupts any electrical system that she phases through, and uh, now, well, there's a system that's uh, disrupting her. I I think that's irony. Uh, It certainly causes Kitty to take pause. Anyway, from here, double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred, our characters include Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, Call Me Kate, Iceman, Pyro, Callisto, Christian Frost, Lourdes Chantal, and Mask. From here, we go into flashback montage mode, and it's uh, Emma Frost recapping several of the events since Hoxpox. Now, we see her approached by Xavier and Magneto, of course. We also see her shaking hands with Call Me Kate. 
Then we see the dead cuckoos being gold-balled back into existence, which I'm pretty sure happened before she and Kate shook hands, but whatever. Uh, Also, in this page we see, uh, or in this panel I should say, we see three resurrected cuckoos when, if I'm not mistaken, it was only supposed to be two that came back here, right? I mean, we had three left alive. Wasn't that the case? I mean, I'm only remembering because uh, Bendis made them all so special and individual and added so much to their characterization by dyeing their hair different colors. So we had a blonde, a redhead, and a brunette, right? So those were three. There were two dead editors. Anybody? Uh, Anyway. Uh, Next, we see her in her Jumbo Carnation Abomination during the Hellfire Gala, where she's all by herself on the beach and um, bored. Then we see her unveiling the Maura McTaggart statue in Madripoor, which... I guess we're kind of floating in and out of order still, because that, of course, happened before the gala. Finally, we see her as part of the council, claiming not to trust her fellow counselors, uh, Mr. Sinister in particular. Now, I'm guessing that this issue happens before Inferno, since, well, she doesn't mention the bombshell she learned there, though I suppose it could be argued that she's just keeping that under wraps. Because, you see, this whole two-page endeavor was just her bringing Lorda Chantal up to speed on everything that's gone on. So, all right, we've got uh, Emma and Lourdes on horseback having this chat. Now, Emma explains that Krakoa was uh, Lourdes's idea. Well, not the evil living island aspect of it, but the idea that uh, all mutants should come together as one. Which is really stretching a line from classic X-Men number 7 a bit thin when she said something about how uh, the X-Men's want for unity is the right direction for mutantdom. In any event, all mutants are currently one, as we know, and Emma is here to ask Lourdes to take her spot as the White Queen of Hellfire Trading. Here we get a few panels to show us that Chantal is qualified. I mean, by God, she worked as a bank teller, and then became an executive. Also, we learn here that uh, Lourdes ain't scared of Sebastian anymore, so, uh, well, that's something. From here, we uh, shift scenes to Madripoor, because, uh, well, it's Madripoor, and we gotta go there at least once or twice. And uh, this is going to be something completely different. Uh, Here, we've got Pyro and Bishop posing as a couple of arms dealers called Mr. Nobody and The Blade. You see, they're here to sell old shield equipment to Omenes Varendi in order to uh, scam them out of some crypto. Now, I gotta ask you, I'm not a hip guy, right? But uh, does referring to monies as crypto make us all feel, like, really cool? I don't see it, but then again, I'm about the furthest thing from cool that there is, so what do I know? Anyway, this is all a scam. Our heroes rush off to the Marauder when the real Nobody and Blade show up, but also after Cade Kilgore already signs over 8 billion of Superman's dogs. Okay, then. Um, Anyway, Pyro announces here that he's leaving the book. He's about to go on a book tour, which, with the advent of uh, Krakow and Gates, really shouldn't hinder his ability to... Sit silently in the background of a panel every third or fourth issue of Marauders? Should it? I don't know. Info page from the X-Desk, and it's Dolores What's-Her-Face. And since this page happens in Marauders instead of Wolverine, she's much nicer to the mutant's cause here. She mentions Fei Long annexing the Martian moon Phobos, which we saw happen just last episode in uh, X-Men number 6. She also mentions she was sent an orchid as a gift. Now, I'm not sure if this is a Krakoan orchid or an Orcus orchid, and does anybody even care? Scene shift. We're back to Madripoor, a different part of Madripoor, because why not? Here we're rejoining Wilhelmina, who has apparently been trying to escape Lowtown for like six months at this point. Anyway, she's attacked by a Reaver, but saved by Callisto. Now, Callisto says she's there on behalf of the Cuckoos. Now, Wilhelmina says that uh, she wishes she looked different so she could get away. 
And so, Callisto takes her to the uh, soon-to-be-renamed Maura McTaggart Hospital for a mask makeover. Soon-to-be-renamed? Like, when is this story taking place? Like, when in the world are we? Did Inferno happen? Is anybody paying attention? Is anybody following along? Am I thinking too hard? Is that just uh, (laughs) more of my damage coming through? I don't know. Anyway, they go to the soon-to-be-renamed Moore McTaggart Hospital in uh, wherever the hell Madripoor, where mask changes Wilhelmina up. Now, we don't see her new face, but apparently she looks so different that even her own mother wouldn't recognize her. And it's here where we finally get the confirmation that Wilhelmina actually killed her mother by pushing her out a window. So what does she look like now? Well, who knows? Uh, You know, part of me thinks that maybe... Maybe the Cassandra Nova hints about Volume 2 are just uh, Wilhelmina with a withered face. Who knows? I mean, that would actually make as, about as much sense as actually adding Cassandra Nova to the cast. So, what are you going to do? Anyway, from here, we scene shift to Sebastian Shaw's place, where Emma reintroduces him to Lourdes. And it's here where Lourdes pulls a fast one. And rather than taking Emma's seat in Hellfire Trading, she demands that Shaw step down so she could take his Shaw, still smitten, sees no problem with this at all, and he willingly abdicates. You see, he's still got his seat on the Quiet Council, so, if anything, this gives him the opportunity to look like he's doing something really nice, while also dumping a whole bunch of responsibilities, so, uh, we in the biz call that a win-win. He does make one request, though, and that is to keep Shinobi on board, uh, and it looks like she will, and this'll, this'll make a little bit more sense as we move on here, there is a reason for that. Now, we shift ahead to Emma explaining this to Kitty on the Marauder while they're fighting off a bunch of robots. Okay, for some reason, I guess. Uh, Now, the dust briefly settles, and Christian Frost shows up to tell us that he and Bobby are leaving. So there's another couple of characters who barely showed up in this volume leaving. Um, From here, we get a two-page spread of Bobby fighting off Frost Giants in Niflheim, because naturally we can't have an Iceman story where he isn't worried about not living up to his full potential, can we? We jump back to the brouhaha, where Bishop and Kitty reveal that they are not leaving the book. So they're stuck getting the Orlando treatment, so uh, sorry about your luck, guys. From here, we shift scenes to Emma handing over her role as White Queen of Hellfire Trading to the Cuckoos. All five of them. And uh, it's worth noting, perhaps worth noting, I don't know, they're in their opposite outfits from the last time we saw them. Now, if you recall, I don't remember which book it was exactly. It might have been an issue of Inferno. Where, uh, you know, there were five of them, of course, and four of them would wear white, and one would wear black. And the one who wore black would be like the brain of the day. It would be the one who would make all their decisions. Well, now, it's four in black, one in white. So, uh, it looks like the one in white will be, you know, the actual white queen at any given time. Which I I guess is fair enough. From here, we follow Emma Frost back to the Quiet Council chamber, where she uh, makes eye contact and smiles at uh, Mr. Sinister. And I'm guessing that this story will play itself out in the pages of Immortal X-Men. From here, it's an info page full of Hellfire email transcripts. We see Shaw formally resign his role. Then we see a couple of private emails that he'd written to Shinobi and Lourdes, only in order to uh, fan the flames of distrust between them, basically telling them not to trust one another, which, I mean, that's regular old Shaw stuff, and makes sense why he'd want Shinobi kept on board, just to... Kind of fan the flames and uh, keep things uh, keep things off kilter. From here, we head to our wrap-up, and we are at the Baxter Building, where Kitty breaks in to chat up Reed Richards about trying to help her with her Krakoan gay problem. Now, Reed agrees, but with a condition. 
You see, he needs to know what it was that Xavier stole from his mind way back in X-Men Plus Fantastic Four number 4, which we looked at uh, way back in, like, episode 50-something of this program, so quite a while ago, and I'm actually surprised that uh, it's even being brought up again. Now, just in case you forgot, um, the thing that Xavier mind-wiped from him was uh, the design of a device that could, in theory, shut down mutant powers. Now, Kitty, upon getting this, uh, you know, deal, she says uh, they might just be able to help one another here. And she presents him with two Krakoan flower bulbs. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, That's where our story ends, but we do get a hype page, of course. This is a... This is actually a volume finale, but it's also a season finale, because we will be getting this book back very, very soon. Uh, Volume 2 will launch in March. Of course, we'll have the annual, which we'll be covering in just a few episodes from now. It's not too long out. Um, now, the character we're seeing here in the hype page is Cassandra Nova, <laughs> and uh, still not looking forward to it, but uh, what I am looking forward to is next episode where we finally finish up Inferno, Inferno number 4, next episode. But let's talk about this final issue of Marauders for now. Um, let's start with my main takeaway, which is, uh, well, it's what we ended the story with here, uh, Reed Richards and uh, Kitty Pride maybe working together here. I love the fact that this shows that Xavier's hub—is it hubris or hubris? However you say that word—is a uh, kind of catching up with him, because as we know from uh, X-Men Plus Fantastic Four number four, well, Reed was mind wiped, but Xavier kind of twisted the dagger a little bit by leaving Reed the memory of being mind wiped. It's a real dick move, right? Uh, you know, I'm gonna mind wipe you. But I'm going to let you know that I mind-wiped you, and you're just not going to be able to remember what it was that I took from you, right? So here, that might be coming back to bite him in the ass, and I'm here for it. One of my main takeaways from that uh, X-Men Fantastic Four series was that the X-Men were very much portrayed as, uh, I don't want to say villains, but as antagonists in that story. We had them going to New York and just basically (laughs) apprehending Franklin, or just saying, hey, we're taking Franklin. He's one of us, so he's he's ours now, and uh, just expecting the Fantastic Four to kind of roll over and take it. And then the ending, of course, with uh, Xavier and Magneto confronting Reed and shutting down his uh, his device plans. It didn't come down. It it didn't end on a redeeming or a redeemable note for uh, for the X Men. So um, I'm happy that we're picking back up on it. I, I thought it was going to be something we would just never mention again because. It is current year Marvel, and that's kind of how things go, but, uh, you know, like I said, I'm here for it. I am definitely looking forward to seeing this play out, and I just hope, I hope that it plays out well. Which is to say, I would have a lot more confidence about it if it weren't happening in the next volume of Marauders, but, uh, hey, hopefully I'm wrong, and this, uh, volume will, uh, you know, blow us all out of the water. Not holding my breath for it, but, uh, I'm willing to hope for the best, so, uh, let's, let's keep doing that, I suppose. Uh, now, let's talk about the issue itself here, which is basically just a device, right? This is just, you know, rearranging deck chairs. Uh, it looks like Orlando probably has a list of characters he wanted to play with, and so Duggan was tasked with, uh, like, writing his version of the final episode of Friends, where everybody kind of just moves away. It's like, okay, well, we're not going to deal with Bobby, so eh, put him on vacation. Yeah, yeah, we, we're not going to deal with Pyro, so eh, he's on a book tour. Let's just move these characters out and bring the characters we want in. So nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. It gets us from point A to point B. We have a whole new, you know, hierarchy at Hellfire Trading, or two-thirds of a new hierarchy, I should say. I'm fine with it. 
speaking personally and interjecting a Chris problem into the mix, uh, I think this would have landed a lot better for me had it just been the end of an arc and not the end of a volume. I I don't see why this necessitates a new number one. Well, I mean, outside of the obvious, in that it'll zhuzh sales for like a month or two before dipping down to probably below what we're at right now. But, hey, Marvel's going to do what Marvel's going to do, and uh, uh, it's not for us to wonder why. I just feel bad for whoever buys Marauders by Steve Orlando Volume 1, thinking that because there's a number one on the trade, it'll be a good starting point, when uh, there's really just so much more before it that you need to read in order to get the most out of it. But again, if we've learned nothing else, it's that the comics industry wants to make the money now, not later. You know, we it's all about getting the money now, and if the people are so turned off that they never come back... That's fine. We'll launch a new number one in six months, and uh, we'll bring in a whole bunch of yet-to-be-disenfranchised comic readers. So that's that, I guess. Um, some brief thoughts on Marauders overall. Uh, not not really a post-mortem, just some thoughts. Uh, I feel like this had a really, really good first arc. You know, and then it almost became background noise to itself. You know, we rarely, if ever, saw the team, right? Uh... During the whole Hellfire Gala, I think they just, like, played dice on the roof for, like, three panels with the thing. That was it, you know? Uh, The spotlight was shifted to Emma and Shaw. Uh, Occasionally we'd see Kitty, just not very often. Uh, We had that weird storm tribute issue, which made absolutely no sense, and uh, tried to, like, retroactively include her into a group that she was really not a part of all that often. And, like, the entire back half of this volume was taken up with uh, with gala stuff, either preparing for a gala, having the gala, or dealing with the fallout of the gala. Now get your uh, X-lapsed bingo cards out, because uh, this felt like a <clears throat> water-treading endeavor, for the most part. And, uh, to me, it's an indictment on the rumored original plan for post-Hoxbox. If you recall, the it, it, it's rumored that the plan was each Dawn of X book would, like, get 12 issues. We'd get a year. And then get replaced by, you know, the next phase, the next wave. Uh, Marauders overperformed, I guess, and wound up uh, ultimately overstaying its welcome. Which isn't to say there weren't flashes of, like, greatness in there, but the vibe of water treading was strong in this one, at least at least in my opinion. Uh, maybe we'll do more of a postmortem another time. Maybe on the other side of uh, Inferno, you know, where we can actually go through things bit by bit without worrying about... Me spoiling myself or us spoiling one another, uh, we'll see how things go. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure people are really, really you know, anxious to hear my, my overall thoughts on, uh, on this volume. But uh, I think that's about all I have to say about it for now. Let's hop into the mailbag here. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about Hellions number 18. Now, Damien says, The loss of Hellions is a sad day for the X-Labs community. By far, it has been the most consistently excellent Hox, Pox, Docs, Rock, Sox book. There was actual alchemy on the page. Imagine going back to when I read Fallen Angels and telling myself that I would feel genuine emotion about Quanan. I would have thought you were insane. But I did. I cared. I care about her future and her relationship with Grey Crow. I want her daughter to be resurrected now that the rules have changed. How did they do that? It really comes down to great writing. Zeb Wells has done a phenomenal job with this book. I think I mentioned when I reviewed Hellions number 17 that I'd gone back and reread the entire series. I would recommend a reread to all your listeners. It works even better as a whole, and unlike many books, it doesn't stop being itself during the crossover with X of Tens. It was also really well drawn from the first page to the last page. 
I personally preferred the fill-ins by Carmen Carnero, but there's no doubt that Steven Segovia is a master of body language and facial expression. The art is a large part of what made me care for this team. It was outstanding, and yes, I agree. The art here, uh, I mean, this is like a, like a dream team, you know? Um, the book would have been great with just Wells writing it or with Sokovia just drawing it, but the two of them together, like you said, it's alchemy on the page. Um, just the... And I, I don't talk about art all that much because art's one of those things that I don't feel comfortable talking about. I don't feel comfortable judging writing either, but it's... There's more of a, I don't want to say objective. <laughs> I mean, there are things that are right and wrong in writing that we can actually look at, but art is something altogether different. I have to mention the art when it's Segovia because the facials add so much to to the already wonderful writing. Like like I mentioned with uh, with um, Empath, like you see the looks on his face, you can see the disappointment, you can see the sadness, you can see the emptiness in his eyes. Somehow, <laughs> Sokovia can put emptiness in a character's eyes, and it makes so much of a difference. It really just draws you in, and uh, it like like I said, I don't really talk about art too much, and. With the nature of how we read comics nowadays, where it's kind of like just get through it and get to the next one, it's rare that I really have the impetus to stop and really absorb myself into a page of artwork, where Hellions, I can't not do it. It might sound trite or precious, but like, the character's eyes really capture you in this book. Like, they don't let you go. And it's, there's just something very, very special about it, and, uh, like you said, uh, it's a sad day for uh, for X-Lapse. It's a sad day for the X-Books. It's a sad day for comics that this book is no longer a thing that exists. Uh, Damien continues, I hope the council scenes in this issue do lead into Immortal X-Men, if only because back references might lead people back to pick up the collections or read Hellions on Unlimited, and I feel like this deserves to be remembered. Back in episode 300, you were talking about recommended X-Reading, and I know that I already gave you loads of recommendations, but... I need to add Hellions to that list. Thanks again for such a great podcast and wonderful community. Well, thank you so much, Damien, and I totally agree. Uh, Hellions is is must-reading, I think. Um, and like you said, I hope that these stories do continue. Um, we know Quanon is being added to the Marauders cast. I don't know... I don't know if they're going to follow up on anything there, but um, I don't know if I want them to. But I do hope that we get plenty of references to what happened in Hellion, so maybe, maybe people will discover it. I, I think that Hellions had the misfortune of being named Hellions, is kind of the thing. Um, I mean, even when we all first saw it, it was just like, oh, what the hell is this going to be? You know, is, is this going to be... Is this going to be like required reading? You know, is this is this X adjacent? Is it is it really something we need in our lives? And um, I think a lot of folks just didn't pick it up. I mean, if this was called X Force, I feel like a lot more people would have probably read it. You know, it's 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 a very very special book. It's funny. Um, I was having some uh, some talks off the air about how to like judge the numbers here. You know, try to get more people to know that. This show exists, and this show is a thing that maybe people might want to listen to. And uh, one of the pieces of advice I keep getting is to have creators on to interview. And, um, 
you know, I don't know that that would work <laughs> because, I mean, I call things as I see them. And I've listened to a few, um, you know, current year X-Men interviews. And and the questions asked are of the uh, uh, taint-tickling variety, uh, very much um, compliments in the form of a question. And that's all I've really been hearing. And uh, that's just not me. And so someone mentioned, like, just, you know, try to get Seb Wells on. You love his work. And... Yeah, I do. I do love his work, but I'm afraid uh, that uh, I'm not a very good interviewer on top of on top of not really caring for interviews. I'm just not a good interviewer. And I feel like if I had a conversation with Zeb Wells, it would turn into me being Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live, where it's like, hey, remember when you uh, remember when you killed Madeline Pryor? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that would would basically be my interview. And uh, who the hell would want to listen to that? But thanks again for writing in, Damien. Uh, Next up, we've got Andrew Franklin talking about X-Men number six. He says, I have to agree, the focus on the death of Cyclops and trying to keep a lid on the resurrection process isn't very interesting, and the slow pace isn't doing it any favors. However, it occurred to me while listening to the X-Men number six episode that it's not that the mutants don't want people to know they can come back from death, it's that they don't want the whole planet to know they have a systematic method of bringing back anyone and everyone from death. If knowledge of the whole resurrection process gets out, it's safe to say that everyone on the planet would want to have that knowledge as well. As it is, the mutants have learned to cheat death, and they aren't sharing that knowledge. I think this helps the plot make a bit of sense, but I also think that the writing is totally failing to make this point come across, if it even is something they've thought of. As you've said, it doesn't work to hinge your plot on trying to keep a lid on the death and rebirth of a superhero in 2022. But trying to keep the humans ignorant that they too could potentially be sorta kinda immortal and have another huge thing to hate the mutants for makes for better stakes. Whatever the reason, that's not how the plot is coming across to me. And uh, yeah, you know, I agree. Your point is very well taken there that um, the secret is more about the protocol than the actual Cyclops is back from the dead sort of thing. But again, I, I like... As I said during that episode, that works fine. And I mean, even just Cyclops coming back in and of itself works fine if we weren't in the Marvel Universe, where it stands to reason that even though it's not explicitly written into superhero comics at large, they all have a, a failsafe. They all have a way to be sort of kind of immortal here. I mean, say the secret does come out. You know, Krakoa has the resurrection protocols. We got gold balls. We got, you know, people coming back from the dead. You'd think they might just assume that the mutants are sharing this technology or these miracles with the rest of the superhero community because superheroes die and come back all the friggin' time. Now, you know, if that's the direction they're going, I'm all for it. Like, if we can get all the humans on the planet to distrust every single hero, I think there's there's some interesting stories to be told in that sort of environment. But um, at present, it just feels like we're cherry-picking bits of, uh, of convenient narrative in order to uh, shine a light on and, sadly, just get us to whatever the hell Judgment Day is going to be. You know, probably the X-Men losing to the Eternals, and then um, that'll be June, July, and then in August we'll probably get a whole bunch of new number ones, and who even knows what the status quo will be at that point. So, yes, your point is well taken, but to me, it still only works if the X-Men are the only, <laughs> the only fantastical thing in the world. Next up, Evan talking about Hellions number 17. I probably should have read this one first, huh? (laughs) I know, Evan says, Couldn't this series have had the decency to go out with a whimper so we wouldn't miss it so much? You've already said and discussed the last issue, which I went ahead and bought rather than waiting for Unlimited, so I'll be reading that one soon. 
So maybe this has been already addressed, but the baby WriteBot may not have been reverting to its original programming, but the last programmer received from its parents. Now, after Quanon downloaded the virus in issue number 8, the newly friendly Smiley declared it was incorrect in determining that mutants were friends. Either way, it's a shocking moment, but if it's a result of the Quiet Council's more directed machinations against machines, oh man... Now, the Baby Wrightbot thing is interesting, and I, I probably need to take uh, Damien's advice and just do a reread of Hellions here, because uh, I really don't remember a lot of the more uh, you know salient points of the Baby Wrightbot story. When I think back to that story, the thing that sticks out to me, at least if I'm not misremembering, is that uh, one of the uh, smiley bots was like scanning our characters and uh, like didn't see them as being different from humans. Like, uh, the, the the difference between human and mutant was so minimal in their processing power that they didn't know what to attack and what not to attack, which I thought was a very, very interesting element to add to, uh, to the conversation because, I mean, at the end of the day, what are the differences uh, physiologically between humans and mutants? Um, that was kind of played with in uh, the last issue of S.W.O.R.D., where Abigail Brand was uh, comparing humans to mutants uh, as from the point of view of uh, someone who was raised on a different planet. She's like, they're both Earthers. What, what's the difference? You know, uh, they're just different flavor of Earth. So they're not all that much different. But with the baby, and, and again, if I'm not mistaken, the baby was actually created, like it was created, art, like it wasn't created by human hands. It like was born of other robots, like there was, it was like a self-replicating sort of a thing. If I'm not mistaken, I could be, but I wonder if that has anything to do with uh, with that reaction. I, I, I wish I had the time to reread the whole thing, but uh, uh, probably won't for a little while. But um, you are totally right. You know, damn this book for not ending <laughs> with a whimper. Uh, you know, where we would just not miss it and just be kind of happy that it was gone. I, this thing was strung from page one to page last, so. Um, I miss it now, and I'm sure I'll miss it uh, into the future. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Evan. Uh, we got a couple more segments to get through. We'll start with This Week in X, where we look at what's going to be hitting the shelves, uh, digital and real. Um, first, on X, uh, not X-Men Unlimited, Marvel Unlimited. We've got two new X-Books that have dropped, even as we speak. And that is uh, the penultimate issue of Sword, Sword number 10, and X-Force number 25. So, um... The, uh, all the unlimited waiters will get to uh, read about Wolverine on an adamantium surfboard So I'm definitely looking forward to uh, getting some letters about uh, Wolverine you know, hanging loose on a surfboard uh, On shelves, we've, got, uh, well, we've only got a couple of actual issues The rest are all collections We've got the X-Deaths of Wolverine number 3 So that would be, what, uh, part 6 of 10, I think? And uh, that one has 6 covers I feel like I'm a broken record here, but, like, do you think there's anyone out there who's like, I want cover D of X-Deaths of Wolverine number three. That's what I want in my collection forevermore. I don't think that person exists. Can we please stop with the uh, multiple covers here? Speaking of which, we've got two covers on Phoenix Song Echo number five. So, I mean, anybody out there like, I want the, I want cover B. (laughs) Who? Why? Uh, Okay, also, we've got collections. we got Reign of X, volume nine. We've got Way of X by Simon Spurrier, Volume 1, which sounds like a tease, right? I really don't understand why all these one-and-done volumes actually get a Volume 1 written on it. I, I'm currently doing the uh, the X-Lapse triple dips on the weekend, where I'm going into uh, collection mode with uh, the early stories. 
and uh, just released the Fallen Angels one, and that one was Fallen Angels by Brian Hill, Volume 1. It's like, why not just Fallen Angels by Brian Hill? We we don't need a Volume 1 when there's no Volume 2. Anyway, we also have Wolverine by Percy, Volume 3, Marauders by Duggan, Volume 4, and the X-Men Omnibus, Volume 1, which is all that Silver Age stuff for $100. And hey, did you know that even the overpriced collections have variant covers? Yeah, they do. That's so ridiculous. Um, Yeah, that's what we have on the shelves, both digital and real, this week. And while on the subject, let's take a look at Marvel previews to find out what's going to be on the shelves in April of 2022. And I want to begin by uh, repeating that uh, DCBS did not send me my Marvel previews this month. I mean, I mentioned that uh, last episode, because we usually do this the first episode out. Um, So yeah, they didn't send it, so I had to look for it. And I figured, oh, it's a, it's a free catalog. I'm going to go to, the, you know, any old comic shop. They'll have a stack of them there, and I'll grab one, and we'll be all good. No. No, that was not the case. I had to go to four different comic shops before I found one that had a copy. Ridiculous, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, I never thought that I'd have trouble finding a Marvel free previews. Anyway, let's get into it. This is Marvel free previews number five. February for April 2022 shipping product. Our front cover has Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 1. This is, of course, Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr., and I am absolutely there for it. Our back cover has Hulk vs. Thor, Banner of War Part 1 by Cates and Coccolo, and, uh, well, I'm less there for that. Our inside front cover has X-Men Red Volume 2, Number 1 by Ewing and Caselli, and I already pre-ordered this, as you know you probably imagine. And uh, I've talked a little bit about how DCBS is a little bit weird, right? Let me tell you just how screwy their listings are, because they have this one being written by Jason Aaron, which really surprised me, as, you know, it, it should have. And uh, it's it's good to see that we're sticking with Ewing, because I enjoyed S.W.O.R.D. Uh, nothing against Aaron, because I like his work as well, but, um, I mean, it's just another sign of how unuser-friendly the pre-order process has become. Not only are we, like, overwhelmed by all these variants and not clearly marking what what books are variants and what books aren't, because when I got my package, I had three variant covers in there, and I looked back at my order, and I ordered zero variant covers. So, uh, who knows? <laughs> who knows what wires get crossed or what gets under-ordered, and they're like, oh, crap, this guy ordered this book, but we only have a variant, so just send it, and hopefully he doesn't say anything about it. And of course, I mean, it's not really worth the effort to say anything about it Except, you know, when I'm talking to myself into a microphone But, um, yeah, the, the pre-order process is not fun anymore Not that it ever really was, but even less so now Anyway, I'll stop, let's move on <laughs> We've got Deadpool, Bad Blood, Issues 1 and 2 This is a reprinting in issue form an original Deadpool graphic novel Why? I, I mean, why not just put out a new issue of Deadpool? Anyway, it's not Krakoa-related. I'm just mentioning it for nebulous ex-completionism. I doubt very highly anybody needs these books in their lives, but uh, they're there if you want them. Let's get back to X-Men Red, Volume 2, Number 1, Ewing and Caselli. It's $5. Now we've got uh, Storm, Magneto, and Sunspot front and center in the art, and Magneto is back in his red and purples. Uh, From the blurb, uh, Abigail Brand is still stirring the pot, and she's got Vulcan on her side. Cable's still around, but, uh, well, he's keeping some secrets of his own. Also shipping in April is X-Men Red number 2. Also, Ewing and Caselli, this one's $4. 
And it looks like they're framing this into uh, like a Storm versus Brand for the hearts and minds of Mars Araco sort of story, which I think could be a lot of fun to explore. Uh, we learn here that Magneto has been broken, and Bobby is in, the, in it for himself. So, uh, yeah, I'm still intrigued. I'm still intrigued. I'm looking forward to it. Speaking of which, Legion of X number one. Spurrier and Bazaldua, $5. And it looks like we're getting pretty much more of the same that we got in Way of X. And if you've been listening for a little while, you'll know that I love that series, so uh, I'm all in on another go-around. Uh, the blurb mentions laws versus justice as a concept, which seems kind of like a ripe topic and one that uh, Simon Spurrier will likely knock out of the park. If, if his writing on Way of X is any indication, this is going to be a goodie. Conversely, Knights of X number one. Howard and Quinn, $5. The quest begins here, where mutants are hated and feared once again. That's our blurb, and um, I gotta ask here, have they ever stopped being hated and feared? I mean, that's kinda... okay. Now, again, if you've been listening a while, you'll know that out of the dozens of teeny Howard issues we've covered here on the show, I've liked two of them, maybe? I I don't have high hopes for this. Uh, In fact, my only hope is that I'm completely wrong about it, What I'm sure I'm right about is that it'll be a very pretty book, because it is Quinn, and uh, we really enjoyed Quinn's work on um, Way of X. Next up, Giant Size X-Men Thunderbird number 1 by Nyla Rose, Steve Orlando, and David Cutler is a $5 book. And uh, this, my friends, is the book that the internet has already proclaimed to be a 0 out of 10 or a 15 out of 10, because they either really like or don't like the fact that Nyla Rose is part of the writing team. Uh, none of the conversation online seems to be about how, uh, well, nobody cares about Thunderbird and how we probably don't need him back, but whatever. Um, I'm not sure I'm looking forward to this one because this is going to be what we in the biz, or I in the biz, call a bulletproof book. Because if it's good and I say it's good, it'll look as though I'm virtue signaling. And if it's bad and I say it's bad, then I'm some sort of a bigot. So yeah, I'm I'm not looking forward to it. And uh, as I said during the uh, which issue is that uh, the the trial of Magneto issue, I really think we're over romanticizing and over emphasizing the importance of Thunderbird. So another one I'm not really looking forward to is X Men ninety two House of ninety two or XCII number one of five, written by Fox with art by Espen four dollars and uh, the '90s are back again. Oof. Um, now, just looking at the cover makes me want to vomit. <laughs> Not that I have a single problem with the X-Men of the 1990s. That's where I came in. That's where my heart is. But I'm already bracing for, you know, the LOL random, here's a reference for all you 90s kids that's uh, going to be inside, you know. Um, maybe we'll get a mention of, like, Ecto Cooler or Blockbuster Video or, or the Disney Afternoon, you know, that kind of that kind of great stuff. Hopefully I'm wrong. I don't think we'll have to bother with this one for the show. I'm only mentioning it because there's an X in the title. Another one we might not cover on the show, but we might, is the Captain Marvel Annual Number 1 by Gronbeck and Gomez, $5. Now, this one looks like it'll be featuring the Star Jammers. I do have it pre-ordered, so uh, we we will find out if it warrants an episode or just a mention when we, when we get a little bit closer. We got Marauders Volume 2 Number 2, Orlando and Carlini, $4. This has got uh, Shi'ar stuff. Got Eric the Red and Cassandra Nova on the cover. Still not looking forward to it. Uh, Immortal X-Men number two by Gillen and Warnick, $4. Um, uh, spoiler alert, uh, folks. Uh, Magneto is leaving the Quiet Council. 
I'm so glad the first time I'm finding this out is in an issue of Marvel previews instead of, you know, the actual book in which it happens in. That's that's some great stuff there. Nothing against Immortal X-Men, of course. I'm definitely looking forward to checking that out. I just wish uh, we were a little bit, uh, we held our spoilers a little bit closer to the vest. Uh, we got Wolverine patch number two by Hammett and DeVito, $4. Um, current year Hammer, still not excited. Uh, I was still not sure if this is a current day thing. Since it was promoted as a, like the perfect jumping on point Or if this is like another in the line of Marvel Blast from the Past miniseries that we've been seeing Like there's the Ben Riley uh, series that's out The Silver Surfer Rebirth that's out um, The Thing miniseries takes place in the past uh, yeah, Marvel's been really really good about, um, about showing some love to the older stories here And I'm wondering if that's what this is with, uh, with Patch But uh it might be one we cover, it might not be one we cover I've got it ordered just in case, but uh, we'll see as we get closer uh, X-Men Volume 6, Number 10, Duggan and Pina, $4 uh, Judgment Day is coming, still uh, We've got X-23 fighting with something with long fingers on the cover uh, Maybe it's Lady Deathstrike, maybe it's Mojo I can't say as I'd be all that happy to see either of them But uh, we'll see when we get there uh, X-Force, Volume 6, Number 27, Percy and Gill, $4. Uh, first of all, yay, no new number one. Though it is listed as an all-new jumping on point, which is great. I hope that this one sells a whole lot more than, than it would otherwise, because maybe that would tell Marvel that we can keep our damn numbers. Anyway, we got Wolverine and Cerebrax here. I'm not sure what a Cerebrax is, but uh, I'm down for it. Next up, New Mutants Volume 4, number 25, by Ayala and Reese, $5. Again, yay, no new number one. Uh, the Labors of Magic start here. Uh, not sure I want to read about Limbo. Uh, this one is also being advertised as a perfect jumping on point for both fans old and new. Are we sure? It's I mean, it's Limbo. Uh, old and new fan. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm there for it. Sabretooth, volume four, number three of five by Laval or Lavalle, I don't know how to say that name, and Kirk, four dollars. Our blurb says it's the great escape in which Sabretooth and the rest of the exile. Oh, crap. Hmm, that's where this is headed, isn't it? We're going to get another run of exiles, aren't we? Oh, Lord. Anyway, uh, Sabretooth and the exiles are trying to escape the pit. Next, we got Excellent, number three, Milligan and All Red, $4. Uh, probably not under the purview of the show. Here, the team takes on Doctor Strange. Uh, I do have issue one of the Excellent. I'm looking right at it right now, actually. I just haven't had the chance to sit down and read it. I am looking forward to it. We'll see if there are any ties, nebulous or otherwise, so we can you know integrate it into the show. Uh, we got Wolverine, volume seven, number 20, Percy Kubert, $4. Again, yay, no new number one. Uh, in this one, we've got Wolverine and Deadpool teaming up, and uh, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there, so I am totally there for it. And I feel like I'm saying I'm there for it a lot <laughs> today. I don't. Maybe I always say it a lot, but it's really like a hail on a tin roof today. Anyway, we got, uh, finally, uh, the free comic book day Avengers X-Men number one. This is by Gillen, Duggan, and Weaver, and uh, of course it is zero dollars. This lays the groundwork for the event of 2022. Hopefully I'll be able to psych myself up for this. Uh, really, the last thing I want to see is more hero versus hero, with the X-Men getting jobbed out to far less interesting characters. I mean, it's going to be the big story, so we're going to check it out. Um, and hey, also, since this is a free comic book day issue, I get to remind all four or five people who still listen that uh, comic stores are in fact open for business on days that don't start with the word free. 
So if you're going to go all over social media talking about how important it is to support comic shops, local stores, actually do it, like with money. You know, give them money in exchange for product to actually support them instead of just telling other people to do it. Those are our single issues. Let's hop into collections. We've got the X-Lives and Deaths of Wolverine hardcover. It's 288 pages for $75. And, um, you know, I mentioned how uh, the pre-order deal with DCBS has been frustrating, to say the least. And, um, well, the uh, Zlato Zlato is uh, another element of how unfun that is because... DCBS only had like 7 out of the 10 issues of this series available for pre-order. Whether or not those were just mislabeled, as, I mean, it, it is kind of confusing. I mean, I'm not getting paid to do this, but I can tell them apart. Uh, people who actually sell these things are getting paid to be able to tell these apart, but I don't know if they're just marking things as lives when it's deaths, or marking everything as lives one month, everything as deaths the other month. Like I said, there's only like 7 or 8 out of the 10 issues that were available for pre-order. So I'm actually going to have to figure out which ones weren't and then make sure I can get to the store the day they come out so I don't get stuck with a damn variant cover. Makes me wonder why I even bother doing mail order anymore. This might just be further impetus for me to drop all the DC crap I'm not reading and uh, just uh, just go to the store every week and buy the stuff. I don't know. I'd, probably, I'd, I'd definitely wind up saving money in, in the overall. Next up, we got Devil's Reign X-Men Trade. This is 112 pages for $16. We got the last Annihilation trade, which includes Sword Number Seven and Cable Reloaded Number Number One. Uh, that's 200 pages for 25 bucks. Reign of X Volume 12, 136 pages for 18 dollars. This one includes Marauders Number 21, X Force Number 20, Hellions 12, Excalibur 21, and X Men 21. So, the first half of the Hellfire Gala, I guess. Which I'm really surprised this is getting included in a Reign of X anthology. I don't think X of Ten's got a Dawn of X anthology, so that's Kind of bizarre Though of course I could be mistaken uh, We got the Wolverine Black, White, and Blood trade 136 pages for $18 And uh, I could have sworn this already came out like a year ago But I guess not Generation X Epic Collection Volume 2 Emplate's Revenge 488 pages for $45 This one includes Generation X 10 through 23 And annuals 95 and 96 also, the Generation X San Diego preview, which I feel like is bundled in every single Generation X collection we ever get. I, I mean, it's only, you know, a few pages, so why not, I guess. Also, Incredible Hulk Annual 97. We got the New Mutants Epic Collection, Volume 8, The End of the Beginning, 504 pages for 45 bucks. This includes New Mutants number 95 through 100 and Annual number 7, Uncanny X-Men 270 through 272 and Annual 15, X-Factor 60, 61, and 62 in Annual number 6, and New Warriors Annual number 1. Finally, we have the Wolverine Epic Collection Volume 1, Madripoor Knights, 400, I'm sorry, 504 pages for $45. This one includes Wolverine Volume 2, Issues 1 through 16, Marvel Comics Presents 1 through 10, and Marvel Age Annual number 4. So that is Marvel previews for April of this year, and I tell you... For the most part, I'm looking forward to it. I think we have a lot of good stuff coming our way. Um, it's going to be a good time, I think. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. But uh, I think that'll do it for today's extra-sized episode. If for any reason anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, please feel free to do so. You can find me several different ways. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics, uh, on Instagram at 90sXmen. Email is weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. And the voicemail is 623-396-JERK. Blog posts and show notes at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Our little Facebook group is 90s X-Men. 
Of course, the complete audio archives are available anywhere you find noise, and uh, we do have that Patreon that I uh, I don't advertise nearly as much as I should. <laughs> it is uh, patreon.com slash xlapsed if you want to throw a little bit of support my way and get some exclusive content and behind-the-scenes stuff and a great group of supportive folks to chat with. But I think that's going to do it for now. I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend a little bit more of your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.